If you have your Bible, would you please turn with me to Mark chapter 7, the scripture that I just shared, Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24 and through verse 37. If you don't have a Bible with you, please make use of the Bible located in the seat rack in front of you. Turn to page 713 and you will find our text for this morning. This morning I've entitled the message, um, Great Faith, Great Grace, and really what we're looking at is two sides of the same coin as we look at these two accounts uh, that are given to us here. Just to set up a little bit of context, this, these two particular accounts come at the end of a cycle that Mark's, you know, Mark has laid out his gospel in a very um, intentional way. And uh, we're going to start a new cycle uh, next week when we look at the uh, feeding of the 4,000. And there's this, this ongoing, there's, there's miracles that happen, there's dialogue that happens, there's, um, there's resistance, there's reception, there's all of these kinds of things that the interplay of all of those things happen throughout these scriptures. The immediate context for our passage this morning is the dialogue that's uh, just taken place between Jesus and the Pharisees related to um, what it means to have a clean heart. And Andrew shared about that here last week. Thank you so much, Andrew, for bringing the word. Here in St. Paul, I shared about that in Minneapolis. And in doing so now, as, as Mark then accounts and records for us the next accounts, we see um, the sharp contrast between the resistance of the Pharisees, the dullness of the disciples, and the deep, great faith of this unexpected person, this Gentile woman who is in great distress. And there's some things that we're going to learn and discover together here. So again, come with me to um, Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus left that place and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. Now, um, all of these names um, don't always mean a whole lot to us, but, you know, for those who are reading or, or the original recipients of this would have been reading, you know, and Jesus went to Robbinsdale, you know, or Jesus went up to White Bear Lake. Um, they're, they're, the names have various connotations and understandings attached to them. They're more than just geographical markers. There's also some other context behind that. The region of Tyre, of course, is, is a place... Um, Jesus is moving, again, sort of across the borders out of the place of Galilee where he spends much of his ministry and into an area where there is greater presence of Gentiles, all right? So that's kind of key to what's going on in our passage this morning, all right? It says that he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. And I just, this just, I just love this. Just kind of highlight this somewhere in your notes. Uh, you can take notes on the back of the pink insert about uh, Mother's Day flowers. There's a place there for uh, for you to take notes but just note what he says what what mark relays to us here but he could not keep his presence secret i just love that 
I mean, Jesus, Jesus has been doing ministry now, um, and he um, physically is most likely exhausted. I mean, he was in, you know, I mean, Jesus came in the form of man. He, he had the same physical kinds of limitations that, that, that we face, and he's been doing intensive ministry for a long time, and he's simply gotten to the place where he is exhausted. And so he has gone to a different place, away from the resistance, away from some of the, the, the various um, intensity of ministry where he's been. He goes to one of the houses of his disciples. He's trying to do it on the QT, all right, so that nobody knows exactly what's, you know, that, that people aren't um, um, aware that he's there. But it says, but he can't keep his presence secret. Now there's a little, little something for you to think about. The Spirit of God lives in you. The Spirit of Christ is in you. So when you're at work, and when you're at school, and when you're in the neighborhood, when you're in your home, when you're in church, wherever it is that you're doing, when the, the life-giving presence of Jesus is in you, it can't be kept secret. Is it just, it, it, it flows out. It just overflows. You can't keep it secret. That's a... That's what I call a sermon McNugget, okay? That's uh, it's not part of the main message, but it's, it's good, all right? In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia, as opposed to the area of the region of Libyan Phoenicia. There's a couple of areas here that, that are overlapping uh, places. And she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Go with me for a moment to Matthew 15, because we have the parallel passage found in Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21. And Matthew fleshes out a couple things, and I want to give this to you as context as we continue to walk forward here. It says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. By the way, if you don't know what to pray, that's a prayer that's always good. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terrible from demon possession. Now, notice what it says here. Here's another extra sermon McNugget for you this morning. It says, Jesus did not answer a word. Have you ever cried out to God? And all you've heard back is the silence of Jesus. I have a word of encouragement to you this morning for you to hear. 
The silence of Jesus is not the absence of Jesus. We sometimes think when he's silent, he's absent. But this is a very pregnant silence. It's full of his presence. Sometimes he entrusts us with his silence. It's not rejection. It's not rebuke. It's not correction. And it's not absence. It's just silence. And his disciples, it tells us here, I'm in Matthew 15, 23. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. She's like making a scene. <laughs> the disciples just, they couldn't be silent with Jesus. <laughs> no, uh-uh. Of course, we're never like that, right? Mm-mm. They got something to say. Get, get her out of here. Making a scene. Then he talks. And he says something that seems, for a moment here, out of context. You're just like, okay. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I love what happens next. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. simple another great prayer Lord help me and he replied it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs now first blush you want to say ouch But let's understand a bit more. Let's get a little context here because it'll help us. We need to understand. Jesus was on a mission sent from the Father. And the priority in that mission was to restore lost Israel back into relationship with God. To take and bring this new covenant to restore the children of God to their rightful place with the Father. Jesus was always present. 98% of Jesus' ministry while He was here on earth was to the people of Israel. So He uses this domestic scene. I mean, here He is in a house. It's a home. It's a place of hospitality. And He says, you know, when you're at dinner and there's the children's table... If you ever grew up, how many of you at Thanksgiving, there was the adult table and the kids' table? Okay, yeah, right, all right. And it was really cool when you got to graduate, right? I mean, it was always fun when you got to go up to the adult table, all right? I'm getting to be with the big guys now. I'm running with the big dogs. 
but the children's table and the bread. And, and Jesus says, well, it's not right that we would take the children's bread. And he uses a specific word here. You know, our English translations are limited in that, you know, they just use one word for dog. But the word that Jesus uses for dogs here is not the imprecatory kind of word that's, yeah, you can look that one up later, um, word that Jesus uses for and not the Jesus, that the, that the Jews would use for Gentiles, which was kind of wild dogs scavenging in the streets. The word Jesus uses here for dogs is the little domestic dogs that come around the table, the little Matildas and Mabels, or the not-so-little Matildas and Mabels in our house that come around, the domesticated dogs. The little, it's, a, it's a word that has affection attached to it. And he says, you know, it wouldn't be right to take the bread that's here for the children and give it to the doggies instead. Now, I love what the woman says next. And this is, I mean, you've got to have this picture in your head of what's going on. So she's she's in this desperate place. Lord, help me. He comes out and he says this, you know, I've come to the lost sheep of Israel you know, it wouldn't be right to take the children's bread, give it to the dogs. And she takes his own picture, his own words, and turns them and turns the tables around. <laughs> it's so cool. This is so great. For she says, I'm back in Mark now, but you can read it in Matthew, either one. She says, yes, Lord. She replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. <laughs> but even we get the crumbs. And Jesus, and I just, I don't know, you know, I don't know how you read the word and how you interact with the word. When I'm reading this, I just see Jesus just break out into this big smile. <laughs> I mean, he just, he's just grinning. She gets it. In Matthew, again, 15, 28, it says, Then Jesus answered, Woman, you've got great faith. Your request is granted. He's got this. I just, I think Jesus is like tickled. uh, I don't know when I was growing up, it was tickled pink. I guess that, you know. I think Jesus was just, just delighted with her and her response. You got great faith. It's done for you. And think about it. Even the, even the crumbs of Jesus. <laughs> There's power in the crumbs. <laughs> Lord, just let a few crumbs fall off your table. <laughs> I'll take crumbs. That's, you know, you got more. You want to give me the over? He's got a banquet. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, so what about this great faith? What are the characteristics of this great faith that this woman has? So I think it's important for us to understand. So I want to talk for just a moment about great faith. I'm going to give you three characteristics of great faith out of the life of this particular woman. The first is humility. The first is just a deep humbleness. A recognition of our dependence upon God. 
That's where faith really begins. It isn't in a formula. It isn't in some sort of ritual kind of thing. It's in a recognition that He's God and I'm not. And I need Him. Help me, Lord. Now in Matthew and in Mark, she uses the term Lord and she's like one of the only people in the Gospels recorded that, that uses She gets it. The Pharisees didn't get it. The disciples, they're struggling to get it. She's got it. David in Psalm 51 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He loves broken, brokenness. He just does. He loves contrition. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all of these things so that they came into being, declares the Lord? This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit trembles at my word. He is both far and near. <laughs> He's far because he transcends all things. He's, he's in a high and lofty place. But he's also near the broken and contrite of heart. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So what's the What's the takeaway? What's the to-do? Humble yourself before God. I don't know what to pray. Lord, help me. I need you. Son of David, have mercy on me. Trusting this faith, this great faith is a faith that trusts. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. Some in bank accounts and some in jobs and titles and positions. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark who has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Oh, yeah. There's times where you're going to be walking. Maybe you're walking right now. You don't have any light. The word of the Lord to you this morning is this. Trust. Trust me. Rely on God. Lean in. Lean on Him. That's what trusting is about. It's that picture of leaning. It's just leaning. Leaning into Him. That's where He wants us. Leaning. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone, say everyone, 
everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you an everyone? Does that include you? I think it does. I don't see anybody that that excludes. Everyone who trusts. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've never placed your life in His hands, this scripture is for you this morning, right now. doesn't matter what your past or your background is. doesn't matter what nationality you're from, what language you speak, how much education you have, how much money you have in the bank. None of that, how old you are, what, what gender you are, what any of those things, those things are all secondary. What you need to know this morning is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can be saved today. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I need you. Today. You want to pray into that today? You want to come come talk to me? Come talk to Tom. and Tom will be here. Kathy will be in the back. But Tom will be here in front after. Just come talk to one of us. Find somebody. Somebody you saw up here. Stephen or Jed or... or you know, chases or just grab somebody and say, would you pray for me? I want to call in the name of the Lord today. Great faith is humble, it's trusting, and it's persistent. <laughs> the word here about her begging says she didn't stop begging. That's why the disciples, she was like, she was not letting this go. Lord, help me, 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 help me. Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Help, 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 help. They're like, go away. And she's like, help. Luke records this teaching that Jesus gives, this parable. He says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But then he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? The answer is no. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, is he going to find faith on the earth? So that you should always pray and not give up. Oh, but I prayed about that. and Pray again. I always tell people, you know, I love the picture in the Old Testament about Naaman going into the river and he had a dip in the river seven times. I don't know how many times he got a dip in the river. Well, for Naaman, he had a dip there seven times. He didn't get healed in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. How many times do we pray? Well, until he answers. Until he says, let it go, or I'm still working. You know, you just keep on. Keep praying. All right. Don't you just love her? I just love this woman. She's fabulous. She just is. She's, she's just fabulous. And Jesus just loves her and just smiles. I just think she's just 
delights him. Probably every time he thinks about her in heaven, he just laughs <laughs> with joy and delight. She got it. All right. Let's go to great grace. Now the, the picture, it's the other side of the coin here. In a sense. So Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. Now, if you map that out, Jesus definitely took the long cut. He was not doing the shortcut thing. He went all the way around and, and, and totally sort of avoided Galilee, which was the place where he was getting lots of resistance and a lot of intense stuff going on. But he comes up and he ends up by the Decapolis. An extra sermon points this morning available. For those of you who can tell me, where else have we seen Jesus near this region? What else... The Gadarene demoniac, when he was in the region of the Gerasenes or the Gadarene, yeah. And that man went back to those ten cities. Now, Decapolis, of course, is a, another Greek word. It it's, speaks of the ten cities. So we're back in a Gentile area again, all right? Now, notice what happens here. And, and, and Mark is the only gospel writer to record this particular account, all right? So we don't have anywhere else to reference, but we're right here. We're back in Mark chapter 7, verse 31. So he went to the region of the the Decapolis, verse 32. Then some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, which means that he undoubtedly had lost his hearing at some point in his life. There, There was a point when he had his hearing. He was able to talk some, but now his talking was restricted and garbled because of the deafness that had come. And they brought him, and I love it here, it says it again, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. There's that same, that, that, it's that persistent Jesus. We, we have no plan B. We got nowhere else to go. We've done all that we can. Jesus, we've exhausted everything. We're begging you. To touch our friend. And I love the, I mean, what a great picture of friendship and camaraderie and and care. Now, verse 33, this is, things get interesting here, and I I love how Mark records this for us. And so, pay attention. Don't just read it. Pay attention. After he took him aside, People say that um, deafness is, is one of the most difficult maladies to have. Um, in some ways, even harder than blindness. People notice when you're blind. They don't always notice when you're deaf. And people, it's very disorienting. And if you've ever been around folks or had friends who are deaf, um, it, particularly in crowd situations, it can be extremely bewildering because you don't have kind of the reference points and you're not... You can't tell what's going on and there's all these things happening and it's very, it's very unsettling. And I just love the kindness of Jesus. Just takes him aside. Come on. He takes him out of the maelstrom of the crowd to minister to him. Just that one-on-one. 
I mean, Jesus, Jesus ministers to the crowds, but he ministers to the crowds one by one. I mean, he just goes right in and touches. And um, he put his fingers into the man's ears and spit and touched the man's tongue. Now, after the first service James brought me, that was really helpful, James. Just, you know, just notice... Notice here how Jesus uses nonverbal cues to, to help this man understand what he's going to do. And also this spitting thing. I mean, you go, Ugh, you know? But saliva was understood to have a palliative effect. It was, it was a healing kind of thing. And so, so this wasn't really weird. It was just Jesus was saying, okay, I'm going to touch you. I'm going to heal you. And then now notice, notice what happens next. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh, said to him, which means, be opened. And at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. What I want to look at for just a moment, we're going to just take those four words and, and watch them unfold very quickly to watch how the grace of God gets delivered into this man's life. And it's a marvelous model for how his grace gets delivered to us, but also how his grace gets delivered through us. How he wants us to minister. We learn so much by, by just watching Jesus. Notice his look. He looks up to heaven. What's that about? What was Jesus doing? I believe that Jesus was making a very deliberate and intentional decision to once again yield himself to the Father. He looks up to heaven, and I think there was more than a look. I think there was communication going on. Papa, what do you have for this one? We're told in John, Jesus gave him this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Father, what are you doing? I want to see what you're doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. If Jesus needed to look up, do you think we might need to look up? Hello? <laughs> Here's one of my favorite prayers. comes in the midst of... It's a great story in Second Chronicles 20 and Jehoshaphat and all of that. Our, oh, our God, here's the prayer. Will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. This is one of my favorite prayers. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I don't have a clue, Jesus. I'm just going to... i got to look at you because I don't know what to do. And all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. And I believe as they stood there, they were just look, you know, looking to God. Here's the posture, the look, the defendants again. And then there's his sigh. What's that about? I mean, Mark didn't just kind of throw that in for whatever, filler. There's something going on. Jesus sighs. He looks up to heaven I believe he looks back and he sighs. 
That sigh is full of the heart of Jesus. It's a sigh that is full of compassion for this broken one. It's the same word as we have here in the story of, in the Gospel of John about Lazarus and when Lazarus had died and Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. That's it. That deeply moved. It's the, it's the emotion that Jesus had when he saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When we see the brokenness in the world around us, are we annoyed? Yeah. Sure. But there's a deeper emotion I believe the Lord wants to move into us. There's the sigh of compassion. Compassion means to suffer with. Jesus came to suffer with and he saw this broken one and he sighed. And it's the groaning that Paul describes in Romans chapter 8 in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. It's that groan. Sometimes there are no words. It's just, oh. And there's His touch. We talked about this. But there's that identification. Jesus, He, he constantly blasts through all of the stuff that people put up in the fences and the boundaries and the barriers and the cultural and religious impediments. He just blasts through them. When Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. You see... Jesus understood something that the religious mucky mucks didn't get. They thought if you touched something that was unclean, you were going to be unclean. Jesus reverses the tables and says, I'm clean, and whatever I touch gets clean. I'm going to infect you with life. You're not going to infect me with death. Is anyone in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? Call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We anoint with oil, we pray, we touch. We do that because the Bible tells us to. Because there's a connection that happens with good, godly, holy touch. We live in a society filled with unholy touch. It's destructive. We as the church have the grace of following in the steps of our Lord and providing healthy, holy, wholesome, life-giving touch. There's his look. There's his sigh. There's his touch. And finally, there's his word. Be opened! <laughs> Wasn't a really long prayer. <laughs> you know? 
And that word was more than just like. It had to do with more than just ears and tongue. That be opened was the whole spirit, soul, body of that man. You know Isaiah 55, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish. It will accomplish. It will accomplish. The word of the Lord will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It will accomplish. Jesus had entered Capernaum a century and came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed in terrible suffering. And Jesus said to him, I'll go and heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come into my roof. But just say the word. Say the word. Say the word. Say the word. And my servant will be healed. Just say the word, Lord. Just say the word. And Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. But what I have, I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk! Taking him by the right hand, he lifted him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. Jumped to his feet, began to walk. Went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. A word. Those who are broken around us, they're looking for a word. And it says, I love, I already mentioned this, but I'll mention it one last time. I love the response. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. Yeah, right. How can we keep this quiet? And people were overwhelmed with amazement. He's done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He's done everything well. He has fulfilled before us, the promise of Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the mute tongue shout for joy, and water will gush forth in the wilderness. Then the lame, I'm sorry, then will the lame leap like a deer. Whoops, let me go back. Let me read it again. <laughs> Skipped a couple lines. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy and water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and the burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. This is the promise, people. This is the promise. The promise of his word. Great faith, great grace. They always go together. It's the grace of God that's at the very foundation stones out of which faith rises in our spirit. 